So one of my favorite phrases to use to sort of catch my wife up with why I'm about to spew out some sort of obscure reference is, hey, let me take you on my train of thought. And in this particular instance, we are going to jump on board a few stops back. So if you're like what I can only assume are millions of people around the globe, uh, if not more, the end of 2020 not only brought a sort of welcome relief to an overall pretty crummy year with the hopes and dreams that 2021 will be more of a, you know, a return to normalcy, but then the ball dropping on Times Square also signaled another significant for many very sad event. That was that the TV show The Office had been taken off of Netflix. And, and I swear I saw more social media posts about this than I did vaccines and politics and resolutions combined. As the end of the year grew closer and closer, my wife and I have only recently started rewatching The Office, and I think more or less is something to have on while decorating for Christmas or wrapping presents or playing a ton of board games, which we're finding ourselves more apt to do the older we get. And the more we realize that board games uh, maybe offer us an easy avenue to have our older kids hang out with us. So on one particular occasion, when one of my daughters was lamenting that the upcoming loss of The Office was was imminent, I said, well, where's it going? You know, do we need to buy DVDs or something like that? And her first response, at least to me, was almost an audible gasp, a disdain. DVDs? Okay, old man. To which I wanted to say, well, I can't find the old VCR because I'm guessing the VHS cassettes would actually be a little bit cheaper. And side note, did you know that it's almost impossible to find a VHS player these days? And if you share this fun fact with anybody under, I don't know, 40, the first reply is going to be something like, well, why would you want one? Not even a, oh, that's interesting. So a quick Google search showed me that The Office could now be found on the streaming service called Peacock, and I could have it for something like $5 a month, and I feel like somewhere along the lines of subscribing to Disney Plus and the Peacock, uh, all of these new streaming services that if you add in your Netflix, Hulu, maybe an Amazon Prime video, a little YouTube TV, and now we've kind of defeated the whole point of getting rid of cable, but I digress. So with a few clicks, we now had The Office at our fingertips along with too many other options to count, which, and this is a podcast for another day, literally gives me personally, there's got to be some name for it, but a form of anxiety of not knowing what to even begin to watch because there are so many options. And what if I start watching something and it's no good, but it takes a few episodes to get into, and I could have been watching any number of a few thousand other shows. So I want to get it right. I want to start and and know that I'm about to watch a, a good show right from the start. But in purchasing the Peacock streaming service, I was then met with all of the seasons of another show that I remember from back in the day, one that I in particular liked, Parks and Rec. And one of the benefits of A, growing older, and two, realizing how ADD works, is I had the benefit of remembering very little of watching Parks and Rec the first go-around. So I thought I would start it over. Enter season two, episode one, Ron Swanson walks into the office of Leslie Nope and says, okay, here's the situation. And it's a line that whenever I hear, and if you're looking for it, you're aware, trust me, you'll hear it more than you think all over the place, but it can only be met in my head, and I I wonder how many of you are thinking this right now, by the words to a DJ Jazzy Jeff in the Fresh Prince song where you start in with, my parents went away for a week's vacation and they left the keys to the brand new Porsche, would they mind? Well, of course not. And Leslie finishes the entire rap with the classic line, wait for it, well, Parents are the same no matter time nor place, so to all you kids all across the land, take it from me, parents just don't understand. On today's episode, parents, you were kids once, no doubt. You felt the truth in these lyrics, but now you are the parent, so now are you the same as your parents? Are you uttering the same phrases no matter the time, some 20 plus years later, or place? 
to the kids all across the land? Can they truly take it from me? And I think they can. As a father of four, as a marriage and family therapist now for uh, over 15 years, is it true that parents just don't understand? Well, coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch, we're going to talk about why you may not truly understand, understand what your kids are going through these days and what are some ways to begin to understand and better yet, ways to set yourself up to, at the very least, allow understanding to take place. And I'm going to give you some tips, having now met with hundreds and hundreds of teenage boys and girls over the years on how to have a better relationship with your teens. So that and so much more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. And today's episode is sponsored by the fine therapist at BetterHelp.com. Yes, 2020 may finally be in our rearview mirrors, but for so many people, there's a lot of catching up to do, a lot of processing necessary, a lot of motivation needed. So I I feel like you owe it to yourself, your family. I don't know. Today, we're going to talk about your teenagers, um, your pets, your future spouse, future children, future you, whatever you need to tap into to get help. Do it over a million people have already done. Visit BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch to get 10% off your first month's service. Just answer a few questions. You'll find yourself a therapist that fits your needs and preferences. Whether you're looking for help in dealing with depression or anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, OCD, and more with BetterHelp.com's counselors. And we're talking licensed professional counselors in your area. You do get the same professionalism and quality that you would expect from an in-house counselor, but with the ability to communicate when and how you want. So again, that's BetterHelp.com slash virtual couch, and you will get 10% off your first month's services. So let's get to the episode. Welcome to episode 242 of The Virtual Couch. I am your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, which is at Path Back 2.0, featuring weekly calls. The, the group calls have been phenomenal. So every, uh, every Wednesday evening, I get together with a, a bunch of people that have taken The Path Back course or taking The Path Back course, and we are talking about how to put pornography in the rearview mirror, get away from it as a coping mechanism, all strength-based, live your best life kind of things. And the group has just continued to grow. And we're even talking about all kinds of things, uh, ways to just become a better person. So, and, and speaking of groups, and I will be very brief, if you happen to be a woman who believes you may be in a relationship with um, someone who struggles with narcissistic personality disorder or narcissistic traits, and, and you're not sure where to go, what to do next, how to get support, just go through my website, tonyoverbay.com and drop me a note. I have a I have a group of women who are um, currently either in relationships of those sorts or have been through a relationship like that, and uh, there's just a lot of strength there in that group. So again, just reach out and contact me. And while you're there at uh, TonyOverbay.com, or if you head over there, you can sign up to find out more information about my Magnetic Marriage course, which is getting very close to launching, and it is going to help you communicate more effectively, better, have a better marriage. It's It really is incredible. I cannot wait. I've been uh, working on this for a long time with my buddy. Preston Pugmire, and we are getting the final edits and workbooks and all those things done. So uh, go ahead and sign up. You'll find out more as soon as that becomes available. And you can find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch. But let's get to today's episode. We're talking about something that I'm very, very excited about, and it is parenting. Why am I so excited about parenting? Uh, I am a parent. I have four kids. The youngest is soon to be 17, which is just it's a trip. I'm an old person now. And I never, uh, I don't know. I, I always wanted to be a dad. I always wanted to be a husband. I wanted to be the world's greatest father and husband. And it has absolutely been a wonderful journey and ride. I know it's not even close to done yet, but I have just learned so much over the years. I'm going to share a little bit today about 
a parenting technique that I absolutely love that was a game changer for me many, many years ago. But I'm also just going to share a lot about some some data that I've, I've learned through some trainings gathered through doing some consulting and spending thousands of hours in a chair talking with teenagers and also just practicing, practicing, practicing with my own teenagers. And just I want to share everything I can about what I feel is the best way to more effectively communicate with your teenagers these days. And if you have little kids, hopefully this will set the stage for um, creating an environment where you will be able to have a really productive, positive connected relationship with your teens. So so let me start by saying I remember a training long ago where there was a pediatric psychiatrist. So this is somebody that worked with children uh, from ch- childhood on into adolescence and uh, early teens to young, young adult age. And at that training, she talked about when a 15-year-old is rebelling, that in one sense, as frustrating as it can be, and I love that she put it this way, she said that's their job. Their job is to push back. Because eventually they're going to be doing this on their own, this whole life thing, not completely on their own, but we want to be there for them. And and what we're going to talk about more today, I think will put us in a better position to do that. But I, I just know, bless their hearts, they're trying to figure things out just like you were when you were their age as well, which can be one of the frustrating things because we want to say time and time again, hey, I've been there and I know what you're going through, but, and we'll get to this, but you know, no one knows exactly what an individual is going through because that individual, that teenager that you interact with right now on a daily basis is their own unique set of circumstances and their own set of beliefs and their own set of experiences. So they think and feel and and behave differently than anyone else around them. I mean, of course, there's going to be some similarities, but they are the only version of them that has all of their life experiences and that is why they think and feel and believe the way they do. So even though I preach empathy on a daily basis and I believe in it, I'm a huge fan. But if we're being very honest, it's impossible to have this perfect empathy for somebody. Again, even if you have been a teenager and you have had uh, the loss of friends or if you haven't been sure what to do or if you moved halfway through your high school year or any of those situations that maybe your teen is going through, when you did it, there was a whole different set of circumstances for you just as there are for them. So back to this training. So I am asked to join a group of other professionals. I was the only mental health expert there, but we were taking a look at this company, this very, very large, successful company, and they had thousands of new hires every year. And age-wise, we're talking 25 and under. So these were truly uh, kids these days, the, the younger generation. And all of us that were in this room, we met for several days We were all kind of in our, I think maybe the youngest was mid to late 30s, and it was all the way up through mid 50s, maybe in early 60s in there. And the the problem that we were dealing with was this company is investing a lot of money into the training of these new hires, just as they have been doing for decades. This company has been around for a very long time. But they are now seeing that employee, the, the employee decide that they may want to entertain other offers from other companies in the area. And they happen to be in an area where there are a lot of other companies with very enticing offers. But now these employees want to leave after, I think the data was saying 11 months, where in the past they would stay four or five years. So the company is now investing all of this money and time and effort and energy into training only to then watch the employee leave. So give them credit that they were bringing in a bunch of consultants and and mental health expert uh, and myself and others to try and figure out how do we retain these employees. Let me do a little bit more table setting now. This was something that I was kind of bringing into the mix. And that was this concept of how different 
kids are, how different youth are these days. And the, the company showed some data that was really fascinating. And let me just take you back in time before I became a therapist. I was in the computer software industry. And in that software industry, and again, this was a very long time ago, there was this rule of thumb. I think there's even some name for it where technology doubled. I think it was about every two years. And what that meant was every two years or so, a hard drive would get twice as big or a computer microprocessor would get twice as fast. Well, now, and I know I've been out of that world for a very long time, but but the data that was being presented kind of showed that even the rate of technology So the rate of technology, when I was in the technology industry, things are doubling every couple of years. And now there was this, they showed this curve where now technology was doubling every few months. And then this was the part that just was, was mind blowing was they laid this, this other graph on top of this technology, um, this technology graph and showed that the generations of young people were also, um, evolving or changing right along with that technology graph. So then this is where I start kind of putting some of the uh, information together that I would notice in my office uh, where when I was growing up, if let's say my dad was talking about records, hypothetically, then I'm talking about CDs, but I know what he means when he's talking about records. I've had some experience with records And he doesn't necessarily want to know as much about CDs because he's always enjoyed records. Records are safe to him. He knows records well, that sort of thing. And so, but we spoke the same language. So the gap wasn't very far off between generations. And I feel like I noticed a shift uh, many years ago, probably more than I, than I realized where if a, if a teenager was kind of being expected to do something from a parent that they may come into my office and say, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. I can't believe they asked me to do it, but then they eventually did it. They eventually went to a school that their parents suggested, even went to start exploring majors that their parent thought would be a good idea. They would still keep up on different chores, tasks, that sort of thing. Uh, I work with a lot of people in the LDS faith and it was guys or teenagers, uh, girls and, and boys that would say, I don't really want to go on a mission, but then they eventually, okay, I'm going to go on a mission. So they were still doing this thing where they would, they would openly rebel, but then they just, I feel like there was still just close enough of a connection or a generational gap where they were still going to eventually do kind of what they thought their parents wanted them to do. And now, and I, this is the shift I noticed that once I saw that the generations are changing along with this technology, that the current generation, especially these last five to 10 years of youth are so far over from where I am. So now if I'm talking about CDs, my kid is talking about streaming everything and instant access to everything and growing up with a phone from the time they're young and all of those things. So so they don't even care anymore, again, bless their hearts, about me talking about my CDs or me talking about what it was like to not have a phone, where I feel like that must be fascinating to them because I enjoyed hearing those those kind of conversations from my parents, again, because I really understood more or less that experience that they were talking about. Not exactly, but I could I, I was aware. I was closer to those experiences than what my kids are to me now. And, and I just felt like that was, it really set the stage of understanding how different the generations are, how different kids are these days. And so I just feel like if you're an older person like me, I think that one hopefully may have just sunk in because 
all of a sudden, you know, your parent is on one side of the room and you're not that far off. But now it feels like you as the parent is on one side of the room. And now your your kid is so far into a different um, different place and they have such different experiences. So here it is me kind of my first round of saying, Oh, kids these days. And so I feel like if I was talking about waiting till next week to watch a new episode of family ties or cheers or friends, now kids watch everything immediately. Everything's released all at once. If I was talking about, uh, when I was younger, if a, if a fast food restaurant opened up, then we needed to go check it out. Now there's food delivery services, DoorDash, and these things are just in in their in their bones, in their brain. So everything has become more instantaneous and immediate. And again, here's where I think right now, if you're hearing this and you're an older parent, you might be saying, that's right, that's the problem. Entitlement, kids these days, you know, get off my lawn, all those kind of things. But here's where I feel like things get real. And I think it's important to note, especially right now, if you are uh, having all of this time with your kids with the pandemic and, and things haven't necessarily gone back to um, kids out of the home as much. Remember, we're not now just talking about a difference between records and CDs. Uh, we're the ones talking about CDs and they're talking about streaming data. We're talking about anything I want, again, that they can have at their fingertips. So when we as parents want to sit and lecture and tell our kids, you know, when I was a kid, we went outside. When I was a kid, my app was called The Outdoors. When I was a kid, television was called Books, all these famous lines that we love. The uphill and the snow both ways, on broken glass, you name it. When we had a similar experience to my parents and we were willing to listen, our kids now hear this and they truly don't understand. They don't have an understanding and bless their hearts there. I believe because of this generational gap now, it's not even that they have a desire to know. And it, I'm not saying that from a, can you believe it? These kids, they're so rude, but their experience is just so different. And the more we try to get them to understand, the more that they feel this disconnect. I remember sitting in a church congregation a few years ago and the ecclesiastical leader was standing at the pulpit and he was saying, you know, uh, he held up a very old like flip phone out of his pocket. And he said, look, this is what I carry. So, I, you know, if you're a, if you're a youth and you're trying to get a hold of me, I don't do social media. I don't do uh, I don't do texting. Give me a call. You know, I want to hear your voice. And I could tell that he was kind of coming from this place where he was feeling like this was a very important moment and he was very passionate. And I felt like the older people in the room, including myself at the time, were like, yeah, you know, kids, give him a call. And and I feel like if you looked around at the teenagers who were literally staring at their phone at that time, they were not saying, oh, my gosh, I think I'm going to give him a call. I think they were more saying, I, I don't know what the word, I mean, what I know that I've heard the phone makes these calls I've heard of, but I'm not even sure how you do that. And, and so I'm not just saying that you need to sit there as a parent and just bulldog your way through and they need to hear you and they need to understand. But I hope that we can start to look at it, have a little bit of a different view of what parenting looks like, a different paradigm shift for parenting or parenting model. So right now, instead of trying to feel like we need to tell our kids what they need to do and what they need to know, that we need to make a shift. The paradigm shift is Hey, let me learn a little bit more about your experience. And I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable. I'm, I'm also going to say that it is going to take time and it is going to be frustrating. And for you to have more of a, tell me what your day is like. Tell me what your friends, uh, like, tell me what, you know, what was that like when your friend said this thing? Or, uh, tell me about your, uh, friends situations with parent, you know, their parents or, uh, tell me why you enjoy the music you do or tell me why, you know, we want to be able to create this environment where, where they feel safe and opening up to us and they don't feel like everything that we're about to say 
is going to be a life lesson. Or if they even just want to share something excited that they're going to be met with a uh, you know, when I was a kid, this is what I would do in that situation. Or, oh, I would be careful. I wouldn't do that. Because every time now that they come to us and we come back with this sort of vibe or energy, then it's just putting this message into our kids' heads that if they come and talk to us about anything, we're going to turn it into either a life lesson, a lecture, an interrogation. And so that is definitely not something that they are going to want to do very often. And again, if right now you're saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to give in, I don't want to show them that I approve of all these things, then bless your heart. I can understand. You can absolutely say that you don't agree with what I'm talking about and you are welcome to to just, you know, you can find another podcast maybe it feels more in line with what you think kids need to understand because I want you to know that I have clients say this all the time that, well, they just need to understand that that's not okay, or they need to understand that the, they're, they're on their phone too much or those sort of things. And while these things I still believe are true by just telling a kid, get off your phone. I didn't use my phone growing up. We need to understand that, Hey, tell me what your relationship is like with your phone. Tell me what it's like. You know, do you, do you communicate with your friends and how do you do that? Are you doing it through text? Are you doing it through Snapchat? Are you doing it through a uh, direct message on Instagram? Um, FaceTime, do you ever make phone calls? You know, what is that like? Because it is so much different now. I had a teenager in my office not too long ago. And every time I think that I'm starting to figure this thing out, I'll, I'll just get this new data. And the person said that when, because I, I, I was kind of making a little bit of the joke about seeing a bunch of teenage boys at my home and they're all together. They're watching a, a sporting event, but they're all on their phone. And I want to make the joke of, boy, you guys are really having fun hanging out. And so, but I had this teenage girl in my office not long after who said that when you are getting to meet a new friend, then you're more likely to talk to them. But then when you feel comfortable with a friend, that the way it works in a sense these days is that people are on their phones and then they are sharing. They are sharing things that uh, somebody else is saying. They're sharing memes. They're sharing videos. They're sharing uh, clips off of uh, YouTube, Instagram, you name it. And so it's more of this shared experience as a friendship where when we were young, I mean, we had to go and create our own shared experience. And I hope you see where I'm going here is I still, as I say that to you right now, I want to say, hey, guys, it's you're going to build a much stronger bond if you put your phones down and talk and go, go do things. And even if that might be the case, but their experience from growing up in this day and age with phones, technology, uh, peer pressure, social pressure, the idea of social currency is that that is not their experience. And so they are going to feel like if they do that, then their friends are not going to be there for them. They're going to be viewed as outcast or weird. I remember having a, a teenage boy not very long ago at all whose parents had told him to let their teacher, let his teacher know that he wanted handouts or he wanted to be able to, he needed to be able to take a test not on an electronic device because the parents wanted to make a stand. And the kid, because he felt like he had to at least go through the motions or the steps, approached his teacher. And while his teacher was empathetic, there literally wasn't a way to, to complete the project without technology. And so then when the parents said, well, that's ridiculous and we want to take this up to the school and the school board, who do you think was in the middle of that? The, the teenager. And it wasn't like his friends were saying, man, that's so cool. You know, uh, I love that you're making this point to, to try to do something the old fashioned way. No, he, he was, he was kind of made fun of for that. And that, that just kind of broke my heart. 
So let me go back to these examples of, uh, I'm going to go a little bit hypothetical here because I have a couple of different companies and situations that I worked with, with this younger generation of employee. So this whole situation is similar. I feel like across companies. So let's just say that there's company A and company A is the company that says we're losing employees 25 and under. Uh, We're losing a lot of them. And they, and these employees are going to company B or C or D. And here's the problem. Company B, C, and D are saying, and this is literal, true. Hey, if you want to come to work in your pajamas, come to work in your pajamas. If you want to work on the top of a tree and you can get a good satellite or Wi-Fi signal, then go work on the top of the tree. And if you get here and you like the project that you're in, but then all of a sudden you think, I don't know, I think I might want to do a different project. Well, then go check it out. So company A is hearing this and this is how their their employees are getting poached, so to speak. And company A is sitting in this meeting and they're saying, that's ridiculous. We shouldn't even have to do that. And here's the part where I'm not even arguing if you should or shouldn't have to do it. The problem that we're working with right now, and I feel like this is the problem that we're, we're having with our teenagers right now, is that you know we're not even arguing if they should or shouldn't be on their phone. Is that a productive thought to building the relationship? So again, the problem that we're working with right now in this situation was they were losing these employees that they were investing in a year's worth of time and, and energy and money into only to go over to their competitor. And, and we kind of put this back onto our kids. It's like, well, I shouldn't have to spend time learning about the social media or that sort of thing. And again, I'm not even here to argue true or false statement, but is it a productive statement if your goal is getting closer to your kids? If your goal is to stay absolutely um, you know, in the name of justice and to get your experiences out there, then I guess that's a different experience. But if your goal is to build a relationship with your kids, then then we need to kind of refocus what those efforts look like. So I hope that you can, again, understand where I'm headed with that. So if company A then says, all right, well, let's look at some data. Let's just say it again, hypothetically speaking, that company A had a deadline where you signed up for your medical insurance, your medical plan. And even, I don't know, five years ago, seven years ago, 10 years ago, this company had the data that showed that the new hires that came to company A, these employees, they were signing up at an over 90 something percent rate. They would sign up by, let's just say there was a November 1st deadline to sign up for healthcare. So new employees a few years ago, 90 something percent of them would sign up for healthcare by the deadline. So the latest data that they brought into the room showed that it was something more like 50 or 60% of people were now signing up for healthcare by that deadline. The, then the deadline hit. And then let's just say the day after the deadline, one of these people that doesn't have healthcare because they didn't sign up for it breaks their leg. And the company says, Hey, I'm sorry, you missed the deadline. Well, a lot of these employees that didn't sign up are saying, I, I don't understand. Where's my healthcare? And again, this could make you feel frustrated. This is where I feel like a lot of people in my own head say, well, that's entitlement that they need to learn a lesson. And you may be on the verge of turning this episode off because I know it's going to feel a little bit like, well, they shouldn't get away with it. There was a deadline. It said November 1st. And again, maybe they shouldn't. But in this meeting, the one that I'm talking about in this hypothetical situation, let's just pretend that a very wise leader said, hey, why are we doing things the way that we're doing them? Why, why do we have this deadline of when they need to sign up for healthcare?" And someone in the room said, uh, let me go get the data. And they did. They went and talked to some VP of HR or something that was a very big deal. And they came back and they said, well, it's because that's the way we've done it. It's a little bit easier on our accounting. Um, we have to have a cutoff uh, date at some point. Um, so quite frankly, it's, it's, it's quite easier on us. And then this person, the wise person in charge said, okay, well, let's do it a different way. And I was in there. I was in the room and people in the room, all of a sudden, kind of, you could, a lot of rustling in the room and people saying, well, we shouldn't have to do that. And we shouldn't, and we shouldn't do this. And they need to understand. 
And then it was someone, again, very wise who said, hey, we're not debating if we should or shouldn't. We're here to solve a problem. We're here to figure out how to connect more with these employees so that they'll stay and we won't lose them to all of our competitors and we will not be out of jobs. And I feel like that's the same thing that we're dealing with now with our kids. So I hope you can see the parallel that if our experience is so much different now than it was with our parents and our kids' experience now is experientially, exponentially much, much more different than what our experience was, then we now have this opportunity to bridge the gap, to learn a new way to parent, to learn a new way to communicate with our kids that's going to have them feel more connected and feel more loved. So I feel like it's kind of time to take more of a look at what are the reasons why we say you shouldn't do this or you can't do this. Because again, when we were kids, we kind of understood where our parents were coming from. So they might have said, here's what you need to do. And we're saying, I really don't want to do that. But by the end of the day, we're going to say, I don't know, maybe that's the best thing to do. And unfortunately, we're in a little bit of a situation now where we may say, this is what I want you to do. And our kid doesn't even really understand. And there might even be some uh, deeper chasms or um, we may not be as close as we would like to be with our kids because of this this changing or evolution of generations that we weren't even aware of till you maybe just heard it right now. So then how many times does a parent then refer to, well, you need to do it because I said, and when we were younger, again, maybe that made a little more sense. But if you step back and take a look right now as parents, we're getting a lot of pushback all over the place for this. And we want to blame social media and we want to blame entitlement. We want to blame uh, Generation Z or millennials or, or we want to put labels on it and that sort of thing. And that's fine. But what are we going to do with it? Are we going to are we going to hold the line and double down on rule based, restrictive, authoritative parenting and see where we get or and if, again, if that's your model, bless your heart. But if you're looking for a new paradigm, a new way, then I think the information that I just shared will hopefully resonate. And and as Stephen Covey said best, seek first to understand before being understood. So I think a lot of times that is that is tip number one. Goal number one is to seek first to understand before being understood. Take this data that I've just presented to you that it is different. It's exponentially different now than the difference was between you and your parents. And I feel like if you go on a fact-finding, data-combing mission now with your kids, you're going to find a lot of things that you weren't aware of. You're going to find things that make you uncomfortable. And you're going to have these experiences where you, and this is where I feel like the brain wants its path of least resistance. It's afraid of this unknown. And so your brain is going to hear some of these situations and the path of least resistance is to go back to maybe it's an authoritative or shame-based parenting model to just say, okay, I've heard enough. You need to not do that anymore. Or you need to just, just give me your phone. I can't believe you just told me all that. And if, and just, that's where, you know, I, I, I need you to, to go Zen. I need you to, to practice mindfulness. I need you to be present, breathe into the moment, in through the nose, out through the mouth, you know, stay very focused, keep that heart rate down and lowered in those situations so that you don't react out of some fight or flight response and that you start to create this new relationship with your kid to be able to hear them so that they feel like they can talk to you. So they feel like they can open up to you. Uh, I'm going to quote out of an episode I did not too long ago. It's episode 240, which I forget the title, something about uh, 2021, are you ready to thrive or survive? And the reason I'm going to quote that, because I've been quoting it a lot, I'm getting so much feedback from something I shared in there about abandonment and attachment issues. I quoted a, a author named Robert Glover, and he lays out so succinctly these concepts I feel like that I've circled around in so many podcasts where he said, When children come into the world, they are totally helpless. They are dependent on others to recognize and respond to their needs in a timely, judicious manner. And as a result of this dependency, every child's greatest fear is abandonment. So to children, abandonment means death. And and we're talking about 
setting the foundation or the wiring, uh, the wiring under the foundation of the, the brains of our kids. So we really are. This is that part where we're talking about, I don't know, five, six years and under. And and I don't want you to hear this and think, oh, my gosh, my kids are older than five or six. So they're, they're screwed up. It's too late. It's not. This just gives us a little bit of uh, information to work with or clarity. So, again, every child's greatest fear is abandonment. So to go along with that, children are ego centered. There's nothing judgmental or wrong about it. It just is. It means that kids inherently believe that they're the center of the universe and that everything revolves around them because, again, they're little kids who don't know otherwise and they don't know yet how to self-advocate or get their needs met and they don't have a clue about what others are going through, primarily their caregivers. So this author Glover says that, therefore, kids believe that they are the cause of everything that happens to them. He says that these two factors... Their fear of abandonment and their ego-centeredness create a very powerful dynamic for all children that whenever a child experiences any kind of abandonment, he will always believe that he is the root cause of what has happened to him because, this is my point, my part to add in, he's an egocentric, attachment-based, needy, little, cute baby. Again, no zero, uh, zero blame or shame. This is just the way it is. It's acceptance. Just like we, this is the way that our kids are presenting now, acceptance. They've grown up with social media and cell phones. Noted. We, you know, it's... No, no blame, no shame. It just is. So back to abandonment. Abandonment experiences are going to happen. Uh, when a kid is young, they're going to cry and nobody's going to come to the rescue. People are going to be busy. They're going to be doing their own things. He's going to be hungry and told to wait for dinner. He's going to want to go to Disneyland and his parents are going to say, we can't afford it. He's going to want a particular present and he is not going to be able to get that present because his parents maybe can't afford it or they don't think it's a good present to get. A parent's going to get angry because they're having their own issues and think that they're a crummy parent. And, and it's simply because their kid is, is reacting or the kid is human. Or meanwhile, the kid does something that embarrasses the parent out in public. And that parent is having their own experience of, oh, what if my friends think I'm a bad parent? And they'll no, no, no longer want me to be a part of the cool parents group. But then other abandonment experiences also might be, and I think about this one often, a parent putting unrealistic expectations on a kid, even if they mean well. You know, I call it the old, you can do better than that champ theory. Or heaven forbid, the parent does shame or, or hit, emotionally abuse, physically abuse, neglect again because of their own issues. And this can show up in so many different ways. A parent can be doing all they can, serving others in their community, their church. They can be working to provide a living. And even if they feel like they, even if they feel like, okay, I, I, this is what I have to do. I feel like the acceptance of just knowing that this is what abandonment and attachment issues look like, how they present. Again, I'm not blaming parents. I'm not shaming parents. I think it's just important to understand that this is how that wiring gets set. And, and I want to give an example. I, I, this is, this one's kind of uh, interesting. So, um, and boy, check me out. I try to be as authentic and, and in the moment and those sort of things. But, uh, I think I'm sharing this a little bit impulsively and I, I don't want to, I don't want shame or blame to come out of this at all of what I'm about to share. But I remember early in my high school experience, um, I, I was in an area, I grew up in an area where there was a lot, there were a lot of wealthy people. And at that time, uh, we, we weren't the most wealthy and, uh, you know, but man, my dad worked hard. My mom was a stay at home mom, uh, was able to show up at all the events, that sort of thing. So, but I didn't appreciate all of that for what it was at the time. So there was this time where it was school, school shopping needed to happen. And, uh, and my mom made me some shorts. You heard it right. Made them, got some fabric, had a, a clever pattern or design and made these shorts. And the way the story kind of goes nowadays is that everybody loved the shorts. I love the shorts. Everybody wanted their own pair of shorts. But boy, I, I don't remember it that way from when I was uh, when I was a kid. And I thought about this from an attachment based when I when I went through all this data from Glover. It just it just memories, emotions, everything kind of flooded, and I really felt like this was a pretty a pretty big aha moment for me personally. So 
everything. I, I was an egocentric, attachment-based, needy um, middle schooler. We'll, we'll put it that way. So I really did feel like the world revolved around me, and I was just trying to get my needs met at, at any cause. So what do I view that as? Is I view that as uh, I am I not of worth enough that my parents would buy me the fifty dollar pair of shorts? I think they were called Jerbos at the time. And so, it, you know, I really did view like, man, what, why, what's wrong with me? I mean, all the other kids' parents are buying them these shorts. So I'm egocentric. I'm in my own head. I don't understand. I can't advocate for myself because I'm, I'm young. So I'm not going to, I mean, I could throw a fit or that sort of thing, but it's not going to get me anywhere. And I had no idea of the plight of my caregivers that, you know, if let's say that if money was tight or, you know, if my brother was going to college at that point or, or we maybe had to get a new car, I have no idea. That's the point. But I didn't understand or I wasn't, I didn't have a concept of what others were going through, uh, primarily my caregivers. So in that scenario, I then show up to school and, you know, I don't remember it as everybody thought those were the coolest shorts and they wanted a pair. It was kind of like, huh, you know, look at those, you know, and everybody else had their, their new stuff on. So I did feel that was an abandonment episode. So I felt like, man, what's wrong with me? Why weren't they there for me? But I understand now that, oh, okay. I, I was stuck in my own ego centered view of myself. I was young. The world revolved around me. So if my needs weren't being met, then it must have been something about me. Like, I can't believe that my, my needs weren't met. And I even realized that was, uh, that was early on. That was when I actually started to really use humor, being more of a, maybe a people pleaser. And, and it's funny because then I realized that this is starting to set the track of what an attachment uh, wound looks like. That if I can get people to laugh, then in my head, then they will like me. They will want to stay with me. They will want to hang out with me, despite the fact that I feel like I am less than because I am showing up with these other shorts on. So I just feel like that is part of this attachment wound or abandonment issues that, that go forth in from childhood. And I had another epiphany pretty early on this week, or I think it was last week as I was sharing this concept with a client in my office and the client shared an experience where two of their kids had been wrestling and one of their older kids got hurt while wrestling had nothing to do with the younger kids uh, wrestling acumen or prowess, but the older kid was in pain and, and, and yelled in pain. And then the younger kid thought it was their fault. And so even when a very kind parent says, Hey, Hey, it's not your fault. You know, that was going to happen. Your, your, and your older sibling will be fine. But based on this attachment and abandonment data, it just was fascinating to me that that kid, that younger kid is in this egocentric world revolves around me how dare people not meet my needs kind of state. And so even if we tell them, Hey, it's not your fault. You know, this was going to happen anyway. That doesn't mean that they go, Oh, okay. Cause they're living in that ego centered world. So they aren't even necessarily going to be able to process this, this abandonment wound or attachment issue until they are older and then able to, to kind of take a look back and say, Oh, okay. That makes more sense now. So in this episode 240, then I, I go on to say, so because every child is born into an imperfect world, with imperfect parents and imperfect families. And again, because I'm sorry, there are no perfect families and no perfect people. Then that same ego-centered kid, even if they are beginning to move out of that ego-centered view of themselves, they now carry with them into adulthood that they must have been the reason why so many of these painful events occurred in their life, which is untrue. It's incorrect. It's an inaccurate view of their life. They were kids that they were experiencing their childhood. So without this help or without awareness, without accepting this imperfect world or imperfect parents, and the fact that they're trying to deal with emotions as a kid that we still can't figure out as adults without you know coming to therapy and doing the work, 
then of course we're going to move forward into relationships, into adulthood. And what I'm talking about today into teenagerhood, trying to figure out how to navigate relationships and present ourselves in a way that others will think are okay, that others will then care about us. So it's almost the anti, you know, being authentic formula because we carry these abandonment wounds of what's wrong with me. Why didn't, why are not, why have all my needs not been met? Why do my friends not uh, always want to hang out with me or why are they not there when I reach out to them? And so that is why they are now trying to interact with their own friends in this way of, I need to figure out how to navigate in a way that these people will be there for me. And each one of those kids and each one of us is going through our own abandonment and, and uh, attachment experiences as we are trying to interact with everybody around us. You know, do I say the right thing? Do I not say the right thing? Do I present this way? And you can see it, man, in therapy in particular, when you got somebody new that doesn't understand that their whole goal here is to be able to express themselves, every bit of themselves when that door closes in the safety of this office, where they still are sometimes early on in the process, kind of trying to gauge what my reaction is to something they share. So even when you're trying to work on attachment wounds or or, or abandonment issues, we still just have this hard time kind of getting out of our own head. So what that, those abandonment experiences create what many experts refer to as toxic shame, that something must be wrong with us inherently, or our parents would have got us the shorts, you know, or they would have taken us to Disneyland or they would have got us the transformer that something must be wrong with us or our parents would have met our needs or our friends would have met our needs that they wouldn't have, um, you know, our friends would have invited us to that sleepover and, and not forgot about us. Or our friends would have invited us to a party. Or when we see on social media that three of our friends went skiing and one, and we didn't get the invite, you know, that, that feels, that feels raw. That feels like abandonment. So we wish that our friends would have met our needs or that people would have cared about us more deeply or want to know us more, want to spend more time with us in marriages, you know, that why, why doesn't my spouse want to know me more? Why aren't they more curious about my experience? But we have no way of understanding that our abandonment experiences are not caused by something about us, but they are caused by imperfect people who we are assuming will recognize, know, understand, and meet our needs. So this author Glover defines toxic shame as the belief that one is inherently bad or defective or different or broken or unlovable. And it's not just a belief that one does bad things. It's this deeply held core belief from childhood, what we laid out earlier, that for some reason they are bad. So we then spend the rest of our lives trying to navigate this balance of trying to understand who we are, uh, why we like and care about the things that we do, while trying to see if figuring ourselves out is still going to allow us to be part of a group or a community or a family or a marriage. And, and all the while, continuing to try then to be somebody that we believe others think we should be or others will like. So when we are going in to talk to our own kids, the reason I went into all of that is that our own kids, I, I just, you know, I want you to be aware that they are going through these abandonment and rejection episodes, but it's not like you can just lay out this, what I just shared with you and say, Hey, this is just a a unrealized abandonment. And uh, so don't worry about it because the truth is they're worrying about it, which is all the more important or all the more reason to be able to establish this relationship of when your kid does want to process something that there is a good chance that they will come and talk to you about it. So tips, I just did the seek first, understand before being understood. Um, so listen, if you're curious about what's going on in your teenager's life, 
uh, asking more direct questions might not be as effective as simply sitting back and listening. I've had one of my daughters on my podcast a couple of times, my daughter Mackie, to talk about some times where my whole goal was to just go lay on the floor and just ask questions. Tell me more about that. What's that like? Uh, you know, or I mean, with each one of my kids, I feel like there's these situations where I just I just want to ask questions and, and listen. And uh, maybe not the most direct questions, but like, tell me what it's like to, what's your high school like right now? Or, you know, do you ever feel pressure from social media? Or what, what, the, what are the biggest challenges that you find in trying to get homework done? Or those sort of things that the more likely you are going to hear more if you're, if you're staying open and interested, but not seem like you're prying, not seem like you're setting up another life lesson. And I feel like, you know, that's, that one is, that one's tough to, to show trust. I mean, uh, teens want to be taken seriously especially by their parents, even if they're pushing you away again, go rewind and listen to that, the, the abandonment and attachment stuff. Uh, so it's important to try to find ways that you can trust your teen. Uh, if you can ask them for a favor that shows that you can count on them or you can rely on them. Volunteering a privilege shows that you think that they can handle it or letting your kid know that you have faith that they'll be able to do something will boost their confidence and make them more likely to rise to the occasion. And if they don't get something done, if you ask your kid, hey, you know, is there any way you can go uh, get the car detailed? Here's here's some money to do it. And then they aren't able to. I had a pretty incredible experience with uh, with my one of my daughters who I was asking that very thing to, to kind of get a car cleaned up because um, it's a lot of reasons why we need to do that. But they they had told me when they were going to do it, and then they called in a panic because they had gone to do it, and a whole series of events had had unfolded that just were not going to allow them to be able to do it. And I I could just sense their their worry that they were going to let me down, and it just I was like, man, thank you so much for putting that effort in, and I really appreciate it, and I know you're trying your best. Even if in my head I wanted to say, man, I, I asked you this a, a week ago, you could have done it a lot earlier. That's not a productive thought. You know, what, what I, so I was, I was grateful that they were doing it. And so I, I was trying to show that trust, boost that confidence, validate their feelings that they were frustrated because some events that they had thought would, would work had not worked and they were not going to be able to get this task done and giving praise. My whole parenting course is on the nurtured heart approach. The nurtured heart approach is, is game changing. And I really, if you haven't taken my free parenting course, please go do so. I talk about this data that I talked about a little bit on this episode, and then I get into the specifics of the nurtured heart approach. The nurtured heart approach has these stands. Stand one is you absolutely refuse to energize negativity. And that becomes so empowering. I can't even describe how empowering that is to be able to have your kid, you know, try to push your buttons, get you to react. And you kind of sit there. And then when they're done, it's like, Hey, okay. Hey, thanks for calming yourself down. Like, I'm really looking forward to uh, to, to kind of hear more about what your experience is or that sort of thing. And there's even these levels of, of praise or acknowledgement that I love. There is a stand in the nurtured heart approach, which is just, um, it's just recognizing somebody. So, you know, my son comes down the stairs, Hey, there's Jake or what's up, Jake? Because I feel like so many times teenagers just feel like they're, they just start to blend into the, the woodwork and that they aren't even recognized or noticed. Um, you know, there's another stand in the nurtured heart approach and I wasn't doing a nurtured heart approach episode today. So I apologize. I really do feel like there's some episodes I've done where I go into more detail or if you go take the parenting course, but you know, the first stand is absolutely refusing to energize any negativity. And the second one is, is just this relentless building of inner wealth and energizing positive behavior and not by just saying good job. You know, that is the, you want to say things like, I appreciate the way you did that because it shows me that you're maturing or you're going to be a, a you know, a, a great dad someday. Or so it's really attaching something more than just good job. And, and I feel like one that is, is hard to do. It is really hard 
is to control your emotions. That's part of what I feel like is so powerful of the nurtured heart approach is that first stand of not energizing negative behavior because our, we're human. We're going to have emotional responses, but that is what our teens learn to do is if we're asking them a, a tough question or if they have maybe not done something that they, they are proud of or meant to do, if they can then say, I can't believe you're even having this conversation or, you know, I remember uh, conversations around if you have, let's say you have a curfew and teenager is late for curfew and then they're, you know, they're, I don't even know why we have a curfew. Like, that's ridiculous. And none of my friends have a curfew. And so if they can get you to take the bait and start arguing, get mad. Now we're not even talking about the fact that, oh, they were late for curfew. So you don't energize the negative behavior. You, you learn to control your emotions. It's so easy for tempers to flare when your teen's being rude. I mean, it is our, when our heart rate elevates and our uh, stress hormone cortisol starts flooding the body, that is a signal for your brain to go into fight or flight mode. When, you're, when your brain goes into fight or flight mode, the rational part of the prefrontal cortex shuts down, light, like light switches turning off in a, in a building, and you go into fight or flight mode. So it is important to literally sit there and breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, keep your heart rate uh, as low as possible so that the uh, cortisol does not spike. And this is why it is so important to have a daily mindfulness practice because you are training your brain to be able to come back to this present, centered, calm moment, even in times when someone is pushing your buttons. And whenever you can, do things together. And uh, I think that's one of the things that if you're going to the store, as much as that we want to, as a parent, go have our own time, go to the store. Hey, who can go to the store with me or, or ask a kid to go along with you? And it's, and I, and there's always, I think there's a fear at times of where this almost parents fear of abandonment or rejection where they don't even want to ask because they, they don't want to be told no. But so this is a, this is part of that paradigm shift. So doing things together, I have a, a rule in my family that I've had forever and I am just grateful for it. And that is, I don't care if I've already exercised or ran or if it's been a long day or haven't eaten or whatever. If you come home and your kid wants to go on a run or they want to talk or they want to go to the gym and put up some uh, shots you say yes, uh, you just do. And sometimes, you know, my immediate response wants to be, I just saw 13 clients and recorded a podcast and I've got a deadline. And But you know what? Okay, I'm, I'm not even arguing if those are true or false statements. Are they productive thoughts to a goal of connecting with your teenager? So doing things together. Uh, there's one on here about uh, a list I had written down about, you know, sitting down together as a family for meals. I, I feel like that's good. I feel like right now I'd be a little bit of a hypocrite if I was saying that one because my, my kids at home are almost 17 and uh, almost 19. And so they're just going in a, a lot of different directions. So whenever we can, we try to do that. I think when kids are younger, that is so such a wonderful time. That was a goal that I'd had always growing up was when I became a, uh, a husband and a father to sit down for mealtime. And my wife did an amazing job with that. And then be observant. It's so normal for kids to go through different changes. But, you know, it really is important to just pay particular attention of energy level that uh, decreases, appetite decreases. And take note if your kid is stopping doing something that they used to do to make themselves happy. And again, what can be important is then that is even all the more reason to go and start asking questions and not necessarily these direct pointed questions, but hey, tell me more about what's going on in your life. And this is why it's so important to set this stage of, of open communication early on so that all of a sudden, if you notice that your kid is, is starting to withdraw, that it won't be this coming out of nowhere. Oh, now my, now my parent pays attention. 
So just learning how to be more observant. And maybe they need to go talk to a mental health professional. And I have to tell you, this was not going to be a part of this episode. And I think this episode's probably going on longer than I had anticipated. But I, I've been meaning to do an episode on therapy and teens for a long time. And I'll give you a sneak preview of what that would look like. I love doing therapy with teenagers. I do. I don't do a lot of it these days. I do so much of the couples and, and uh, I don't know, kind of working with some addiction issues or women in relationships with narcissistic men or those sort of things. But teenager therapy is is amazing. And, and the reason why is I only ran into maybe literally one or two or three or four teenagers who have said, I want to go to therapy. More often than not, the parent sees this withdrawal or whatever and says, you need to go talk to somebody about it. And I remember early on having teenagers come in and they do not want to be here at all. And I don't blame them. And I feel like, you know, I, I would always say this thing of just, just get a teenager into my office. And because I just, I know they don't want to be here and I let them know right away. Hey, I know you're maybe coming because you're being nice. You're being nice because your parent wants you to come. And I don't have a magic pill or magic wand or anything that is going to all of a sudden make everything better. And as a matter of fact, you might not even think things are bad. So I'm, if we've got this 50 minutes together, uh, I'm, I just want to ask you questions and help me become a better father. Help me become a better therapist. Help me understand teenagers. And, and once you get a teenager talking, it is just amazing and fantastic. And there are so many times in the past where uh, I would have a, a really good session with a teenager and they stand up to leave my office and you can almost watch them kind of then flatten their affect, kind of shut down, kind of get a little bit more hardened. And I'm to the point now where I'll joke and say, oh, yeah, yeah, you don't want your parent to think that you actually like this, right? And you can usually get a chuckle out of that, too. But doing therapy with a teen is it is the long game. It is it's really what I want you to do as a parent that all I'm doing is saying, Hey, we're here. Let's talk. Let me ask you questions. And if you want help at any point, at some point down the road, then hopefully you now know that I am a safe place and that therapy is not intimidating. And I'm not going to just tell you what you're supposed to be doing all the time. And that has worked, but it takes time. I feel like too often parents send their kids to therapy almost, I mean, just saying, okay, can you fix him? Or can you, can you let him know that, uh, he needs to do this or this or this. And I, you know, I now just nod to the parent. Okay. Thank you. And then, but I'm going to get to know the teen because more often than not, bless the parents' hearts. That's where the challenge really lies is in a well-meaning parent who is now turning everything into a lecture or a life lesson when a teenager really just needs to communicate and be heard. So I'm going to wrap things up. I, uh, I just talked a lot, of, a little bit off the cuff. I had a few notes down here, so I hope that there was a semblance of this making sense. If you appreciate it, enjoyed the, the episode, I, you're always welcome to um, go rate or review and subscribe and all those wonderful things wherever you get your podcast. And, and send this one along. Share it on social media. Uh, give me a shout out on Instagram or um, uh, Facebook or any of that kind of thing, because that, that really does mean a lot. And I here's my anxious attachment where I, I never wanted to be the one saying, you know, please, please go share this. But I'm finding more and more that the more some of these messages get out, the more it's just really helped people uh, change the way they parent, change the way they communicate in their relationships, their marriages. And I'm just so grateful to be uh, to, to have this platform and to be able to share these things that I've seen in just, you know, years and years of therapy. And I'm so delighted that it can help. And if you want more help, you can go take my free parenting course. And uh, if you're interested in uh, communicating better with your spouse, I've got the magnetic marriage course coming up. And I'm mentioning that right now because I really feel like the same principles that I, that, that I teach in the magnetic marriage course 
will be effective in trying to communicate with your teens. If you haven't heard the episode I did on my four pillars of connected conversation a few weeks ago, go listen to that now after you heard this episode about communicating with your teenagers and implement those four pillars of a connected conversation. And I think that you'll see some pretty miraculous results. All right. Hey, have an amazing week. I hope your beginning of 2021 is starting off well. And uh, you can send me questions, comments, thoughts, all those sort of things at contact at TonyOverbay.com. And I will see you next time on The Virtual Catch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end The pressures of the daily grind It's wonderful Elastic waste and Ghost. I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside